I was told to start with family, so I called my dad. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I have a very odd request for you. And that is always a dangerous thing to ask my pop because he is a serious goof. Oh, I like odd requests, <laughs> it, it, and especially if it's against the law. Well, it's not. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not against the law officially, but it's interesting. All right, you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I'm sitting down. Okay. My pop, by the way, is probably the least likely person to break the law you would ever meet. This is a cold call. He has no idea what's about to happen. I'm doing something that's been done countless times and probably started shortly after Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. Uh, you know me. That's a no. <laughs> I assume that you like me. Uh, that's a 10-4. Okay. I am officially not really running for Charlotte mayor. That's correct. And I am calling to see if you would be willing to contribute to my official not real campaign to make sure that we have the funds that we don't need in order to make this hypothetical campaign run. This is Candidate Me. Episode 3, The Ask, for money both light and dark. And this week's title needs a bit of explaining. A bit later, we shed light on what is a first in a Charlotte-centric campaign, dark money groups looking to influence your vote with the cash of undisclosed donors. It's legal, but yes, very controversial. But we start today with what I'll call cash classic. Now, campaigns love to say they run on the big mo, momentum. Realistically, they run on that big mo's more tangible cousin, money. And candidates, hypothetical or real, need help in raising that cash, in dialing for dollars. Enter this man. Uh, my name is Mark Noop. I'm 29 years old. I honestly couldn't even tell you offhand how many campaigns I've run or been involved in. It'd be in the hundreds, I'd say. Do you remember your first campaign? Yeah, I do. It was a state Senate race in South Carolina, and the candidate came with a ready-made donor network just waiting to be tapped, a rare perk usually associated with incumbents or really well-connected challengers. But most aren't. Correct. So how does it work? Do you give the candidate a script? Sometimes, yes. Um, you know, sometimes when, when you're just starting out, you kind of need, um, especially if you're getting intimidated or anything like that, it's good to have a script in front of you if you're making phone calls. Um, to kind of stay on message and not kind of lose yourself in the conversation. My dad was an easy mark, and of course, he said yes to my hypothetical request for pretend contributions. But I wanted to try this on a harder target. So I called my friend Steve, more of a realistic cold call. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. And I have to admit, I was a bit nervous, even though I wasn't really asking for money. So I decided to use Mark's advice in a very unsophisticated way as a template for the call. Step one, some small talk. First of all, how are Trin and the girls? They are doing great. And right wow. here, I committed a rookie fundraising mistake. I got lost in the conversation. I'm sitting in a, in a long line of traffic, so we're hanging out. <laughs> but I got back on my talking points and moved to step two, 
identify why people would actually give me money. One is primarily that they know you and they like you and they believe in you. Okay, let's try it. You know me? I do. You like me? I do. You believe in me? I do. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I am officially not really running for Charlotte mayor. I've seen that. Another hook for potential donors, Mark Noop tells me, is that they believe in a position you're taking or a set of principles uh, that you possess and that you're running on. Let's give that a try, too. My principles and my platform are pretty simple. I am not a real candidate. I can get absolutely nothing done, which puts me on par with a number of actual politicians. Right. Step three, the all-important close. I am calling to see if you are in a position where you could financially donate to the campaign. Hypothetically? Um, like actual donations to a hypothetical campaign or hypothetically donate to a hypothetical campaign? The latter. And boy, can you hear the relief in Steve's voice. Sure. What could go wrong? Exactly. And that's basically it. Call. How are you? Ask. Could I put you down for a $5,000 donation? Repeat. Call. You have like two minutes? Ask. Can you contribute? Repeat. Yada, yada, yada. Sometimes you get responses like, Oh, I would love to. And, Sure. Other times, you get a firm no. Okay. Or a nicer no. As in, no, I'm not going to give you money, but hey, good luck. And I wish you well in your election. Mark Noop says once you work through the aforementioned friends and family, you've got to cast a wider net to keep bringing in the cash. Just how is pretty surprising. You kind of branch out to your typical donors that you can mine from public records or maybe in some cases can hire a professional fundraiser who can provide those types of lists to you. When you say mine public records to find donors, what does that mean? So you might go to the uh, Board of Elections website and see lists of people who have given to other campaigns. Um, you know, maybe somebody who's in the same parties that you're running in and uh, a similar office, that sort of thing. And it'll give you an idea of the typical donors who are out there who like to get involved in politics and, and help people along like that. Uh, so a lot of times you're just mining public records and looking through these lists and finding names that might look familiar to you or might look like people who you should approach to ask for funds for your campaign. And this approach works. The just-released campaign finance reports for Mecklenburg County prove it. Cash is simply flowing into campaigns in this, a locals-only, election year. Consider the race for Charlotte's mayor. The big four candidates, Democrats Jennifer Roberts, Vi Lyles, Jill Ford, and Republican Kenny Smith, have already raised a combined total of $1,112,233 in campaign contributions. Not impressed? Here's some context. That's just $130,767 less than the record set back in 2009. That record was set in November, months from now, at the end of the election. And these candidates have yet to hit the primary. And when they do, for those who survive, they can go back to their original donors and get even more cash. And it's not just mayoral candidates raking it in. There's been more than $233,000 raised by candidates running for an at-large seat on the Charlotte City Council. 
moved down to the district seats on the council, and some races are also looking to be very expensive. There, two Democrats, incumbent Patsy Kinsey and challenger Larkin Eggleston, have already raised more than $61,000 combined. They also face Robert Mitchell in the September 12th primary. And it's not just Charlotte. Take Cornelius. Mayoral candidate Woody Washam's campaign has $33,000 cash on hand, and he is running unopposed. Oh, and one other thing. All of these financial reports only go through the end of June, so the campaigns have raised even more cash than we know of right now. And they're not just holding on to it. More than half a million dollars has already been spent on campaigns in Charlotte alone. Take John Powell. He's a Republican running as an at-large candidate for the Charlotte City Council. Powell has raised an impressive $54,930. However, his campaign has just $5,777 left in the bank. So what are these campaigns spending all that money on? Good question. That's next on Candidate Me. This is Candidate Me. I'm Tom Bullock. And all good candidates, hypothetical or otherwise, have political consultants to guide them. As a pretend candidate, I get to have two. You know them as our completely biased political panel. Larry Shaheen is a Republican political consultant. Welcome back, Larry. I'm happy to be here. That was hilarious. I love it. <laughs> and Dan McCorkle is a Democratic political consultant. Welcome back Mike, to you. Yeah, I'm like, sorry. It was you're funny. laughing like the dog that got married. Is what uh, mom it's, it's been. A, it's been. It's already been a long day, and it's only. It's only something yeah. or other. Yeah. yeah, that's a good time for a podcast. Something or other. All right, so gentlemen, I've been running through the campaign numbers. What are real candidates spending their money on? And you can't I, answer. You cannot answer consultants because we did that last week. Well, no, real candidates are. Well, here's 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 the here's the if I may, and it, it's called a burn rate. It's called how much money you burn through to how much you raise. The cash on hand number is what matters because the voters aren't paying attention now. And any money spent not on a voter before this point is a, is in my opinion, unless it's raised you a whole bunch of money, is a wasted dollar because um, you, you got to remember. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into specifics on each race and what they need to be doing, but I'm gonna speak generally. Generally, if you're not spending your money on how to move the doll- move the needle with a voter and get them to either have name ID or understanding of your issues, you're wasting your money. Right. And and a lot of folks right now have a lot of consultants who will say, well, buy emery boards for nails or buy stickers oh, or buy pencils or buy all. If if you have a consultant that tells you that signs are going to win your election, you need to go about back and I, you need to you need to, you need to you need to kick them out the door. I just agree with because, Larry so much. Yeah, you because, because him, buddy. signs I mean, signs, that is, that's signs exactly are great. Correct. Signs are wonderful, and if you're going to use signs as a, as a as a as a tool for something else, th- they're fantastic. They are a symptom of a healthy campaign, but actual campaigns mm. themselves communicate with voters and. This is the time when voters are engaged or supposed to be, and now is when the voters are are, are paying attention, and now is when the money now is really when matters. Blitz. Now, All right, you so blitz. Dan, your turn. Well, I totally agree with Larry for once in my life. Uh, now, yard signs, <laughs> yard signs are a strange thing. I always start out with a campaign telling the candidate, I'm only going to get this many yard signs, and they're fine with it. But then they, the minute they see somebody else's yard signs, they freak out and have to have, like, I need 500 all of a sudden. I mean, it works every time. As much as we tell them we need the direct mail, we need the advertising, we need this, that, and the other, 
those signs are so ingrained in people's heads well, that they feel like they have to have them. They're and, important in yards and they're important in high visible areas. But to see all these signs in cul-de-sacs, that makes me angry. Let's talk about yard signs because yard signs fascinate me. Okay. I know that sounds crazy, but every election they sprout like some kind of patriotic perennial and you see them all That's kinds of different good. places. Wonder, wonderful alliteration. Thank you. But I have often heard, and I'm curious if this is true, that campaigns hate yard signs. I hate yard signs. While candidates love that them. That is 100% correct. And it's something about, it's, it gets to be a competition. I've seen, uh, we've had a judge candidate one year that did oh. nothing but yard signs. Of course, he came in fifth place because <laughs> there was nothing else. Larry said something about it's a sign of a healthy campaign. I always consider billboards a sign of a healthy campaign. They don't necessarily really? win or lose. Billboards? But if you have the resource yeah. to do your direct mail, your radio, everything else, and have the money left over to do billboards and yard signs, fine. It's all part of your overall media strategy. But in itself, they cannot win it for you. Uh, yard signs get to be, they take too much discussion in the campaign, especially in a campaign meeting, too much drag on resources. Too many people are concerned about it when they need to be knocking on doors or making calls. Now, you say it's, they take up too much time in campaign meetings. About what? It's well, a you're going to love this. This is actually great. I've, I've sat through campaign meetings where people will literally pull out a map and strategize where they're going to put down yard That's signs. Right. And I've literally looked at those people and said, you, could, you, you, you need to understand that I can hit more people if you were to call five people and raise three thousand dollars, I can put more. I can I can use that money better than the hour and a half. Again, time is a resource. Right. Than the hour and a half you're spending discussing where to put yard signs. Yard signs for me are, are here's here's the the way that you do yard signs is you cover it once before once when you get them. You ask people if they want them. You deliver them, and then you're and done. Yards. And yards, and then you turn around. And, and, and in certain places, there's some areas where you want high visibility, and the state lets you put them on state roads. You do that, but then at the end of the day, you don't go back for them. And if you need to replace them, you do. You put them at early voting where you know voters are going to be. You right. put them at precincts where you know voters are going to be. And then you don't talk about them again. There's a whole book written by Rick Perry's consultants from Texas called Eggheads. Their entire theory was we can win a campaign without a single yard sign in Texas, and they did it. Okay. Now, the one thing that also gets people riled up is if you put a yard sign up on the side of the street, probably shouldn't be there anyway, and then the city or somebody mows or disappears. Those are the worst. Oh yeah, people start. People are morning. stealing your signs. Our signs people are stealing. Gone, they're they're disappearing. Them. Oh my God! There's I'm some like, mass conspiracy. Really? People have so much time to run around. No, and I pick have up to some signs. of Larry's signs. Also. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I said earlier in this podcast, campaigns love to talk about the big mo that gets them going. Momentum. We've got momentum. Realistically, the big mo more often than not is money, not momentum. That's correct. However. Earned media helps, too. Earned media absolutely helps. That's just when you appear, your your candidate or campaign appears on television or on radio as a, as a story, an right. actual story. But I want to point out two people here that I just think are fascinating. Um, the first one I want to point out is City Councilman Greg Phipps. That's, uh, I have to disclosure, that's one of my candidates. Oh, okay. Well, very good. Well, I'm going to ask you still about your candidate. I think we're having lunch after this. So. Well, very good. Um, so he's in District 4, Democrat. Right. Incumbent. University area into Back Creek into those areas. Yep. Right. At least according to the financial form that I saw, he walked into this election with a war chest of nine hundred and seventeen dollars. Right. And uh, has two hundred and seven dollars cash on hand. Right. He has not raised a penny this round. He uh, has the capability, if needed, to self finance. Also, he does have some fundraisers planned in August. This inside information there. Uh, name recognition is high. Um, 
And he got primaried last time, didn't he? He got primaried last time. Remember, there is no Republican. He just has to win the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. He won with, uh, I don't know, 1,400, 1,500 votes uh, last time we had a primary. And I can't really say more than that, but he will do what he needs to do to win. And uh, the incumbents are the ones that need to be raising a lot of money to either build their positive name recognition or somehow, uh, you know, uh, do some opposition to why he shouldn't be reelected. Well, let's switch to the other party now, and we'll move down to District 7, where Ed Driggs is another incumbent who has raised exactly zero so far. Is sitting on a war chest. I'm sorry, he has received uh, $1,250 from a PAC, the Political Action Committee. He's sitting on a war chest, um, which is tiny compared to a lot of people on this list, but significantly more than the $207 that uh, Mr. Phipps has. Edrigs is sitting with $3,691 in the bank. And I know you don't represent him, Larry. Full disclosure, he has been a client. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, look at this. <laughs> How handy is this? I, I, so, wish, I wish the Trump administration was full, as honest. Full, full disclosure, Ed Driggs has been a client since 2012, on off and on. Um, then I, I can put you on the spot the same way I put Dan on the, Dan spot. On the spot. So you have a candidate that's – granted, it's an incumbent, uh-huh. but you have – Zero dollars raised, uh, a mm-hmm. war chest that could um, take you on a on a decent, you know, trip to the beach, but it, pretty much that's it. And, you know, I know it's a Republican district. I know he's a Republican, but mm-hmm. is he just – is it just – is his name recognition that good? Yeah. Uh, Ed, Ed could put out yard signs, do nothing else, and win that district. And right? I know. Yeah, he does have a Democratic opponent in uh, November. Just to keep it keep it honest and of keep course. the conversation going. Yeah. Sometimes the candidate will raise extra money to help yeah, the other candidates. He's, he's more, than, right. more than likely you'll see more than likely you'll see activity. I'm not going to go into. I mean, any, Jeff Jackson is that. doing that right now. His mm-hmm. money. I mean, he's yeah, his money's not for him. Yeah. His money. His money's to protect him in a primary and and, and uh, help everybody else. Help everybody else get IUs, which is great. That's a good strategy. That's the way you do it. Uh, let's answer some questions from podcast Yay. listeners. Constituent question. This one from uh, somebody who logged in as anonymous. How much money do local politicians get from the parties oh, for their this campaigns? This will be fun. Go. Well, well, we used to have so, the union. Tell them the truth. Off. Tell them the truth. What? Zero. Zero, but the the party's responsibility is to get the base vote out and educate it. Educate the base vote, get them out. The party cannot take sides in primaries and should treat all candidates equally in a general election. All right. Let me stop you there, okay. though. And, Larry, I already know your answer. You say zero. zero. However, you both were just talking about how certain candidates raise money that they can use to help mm-hmm. other candidates. That's Is right. that not de facto party Well, the parties will raise support? money, and the parties will raise money to turn out the base, and the question is whether they raise enough to be of any significance. And, 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 and locally, that's not been the case in a long time. Um, but that, that the advent of 527s and 501c4s uh, have really diluted the ability of the party to be effective because for a long, long time, the parties were the source of what was called soft money. That was corporate dollars that were donated to the party that were there to help get candidates elected. That money well has dried up with the advent of caucus campaigns, uh, 501c4s like Civitas. Citizens and United. Yeah, and let me stop just for a quick definition. Uh, 527s are otherwise known as super PACs. Mm-hmm. 501c3s are not. Yeah, not 501c3s are not. Nonprofits, non-profits, though some are kind of venturing but, into political. Uh, 501c3s are not allowed to participate but they in political. Are. But no, they give money to 501c4s, which then participate in political action. And that's the shell, shell game. And 501c4s are officially social welfare organizations uh-huh. who are required that's by right. law to spend no more than half, or actually less 49%. than half, 
of their uh, expenditures in Not any given year lobbying. on a uh, in an election. That's right. So, um, so super PACs, five hundred one c threes, c fours, dark money, whatever you want to call it, that kind of has eroded the role of the parties of the party fundraising. But let's let's stick with five hundred one c fours. Because we have at least two. At least two. Here in Charlotte. These, again, social welfare groups, mm-hmm. they do not need to. I get to claim complete ignorance about both of <laughs> them. I don't know anything about what they're there doing. That's all right. There is one that's run by Mark Noob, uh, who is it's uh, Republican aligned. We're going to hear from him next in this podcast. Mm. The other one is associated with uh, Joel Ford. It's Democratic leaning. They have not responded to our phone calls or interview Congress requests. Dem- I mean, I don't know if they're really Democratic Stop. leaning. They want Joel Ford to win. <laughs> that's the way this works. <laughs> Usually, and Dan, I'd I'd love to hear what you think about this. To start, as political consultants, what do you think of having groups with unlimited donations and no access to the average person, um, you know, to see their their donor lists? Do you support them, even regardless of whether your party it's your party or the other party? What do you think of them being in this race? I I do not like it, but I do not like Citizens United the most. Remember, billionaires now have more of an impact uh, on free speech than the average middle-class citizen that can maybe give 100 bucks. When you have the Koch brothers giving tens of millions. So it's a systemic problem right now. It's from the top to the bottom. I don't like these outside groups because they don't know Charlotte. They don't live here. You know, I'm I'm old-fashioned. I think the people that that, – I love donations that come from within Mecklenburg County because that person has a vested vested interest in their own county. Um, So I tell you, I I just – I don't like it. I don't like the whole culture right now of politics where money is king. Uh, issues are um, often made up by these PACs, put out over the airwaves, and, and that's the main noise in a campaign. we got to get back down to the basics of what public service is all about. There you know? I really don't have an opinion one way or the other. Um, the, 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 you have to think of this as a chessboard, um, and they're a piece, and they're a piece that's legal, and they're a piece that other people will use. There are no second places. In, in these campaigns, there's first place and then that's it. There's winning, there's that, that's it. And if the opponent has this, you need to have it. Up next, as promised, a rare look inside the world of a dark money group looking to influence your vote when Candidate Me continues. So remember this guy? Uh, my name is Mark Noop. I'm 29 years old. I honestly could He's the political strategist who helped me with my fundraising calls at the top of this episode. Well, Mark Noop is not exactly a fan of Charlotte's elected officials. You know, Charlotte's city council, for instance, is basically Charlotte's board of directors, right? And I don't think a lot of major companies would be comfortable with this board of directors at their company. I don't think... Most Charlotte voters are comfortable with what we've seen out of the last two years. That's when the city council and Charlotte's mayor were last elected. Mark Noop is a Republican, and two years ago, he ran Edwin Peacock's campaign for mayor, which lost to Jennifer Roberts. This election, Noop wants change, and he's actively trying to influence your vote. But he's not working for a candidate or with a particular campaign, officially at least. His effort has a name. Forward Charlotte. Throw a .com on there and you'll find their website. So far, their efforts amount to a single video. 
Yeah, so the video is a, uh, about a minute-long web video that we put out to kind of define ourselves and explain what our mission is. The lights have always been bright in Charlotte. Our people are intelligent, energetic, and compassionate. We've embraced... And it kind of breaks down our primary goals and what we're going to try and achieve. And also show that, that we do intend to hold city leadership accountable. But lately, our lights have started to dim. Politicians playing cynical games in the halls of power have cost us precious opportunities. Fewer jobs and new businesses are coming to our city. We're going to put out more videos and um, you know, we'll be on TV and all these things. A lot of this is just nuanced tactics and what, what we're going to do to, to influence folks. This time of darkness doesn't have to be Charlotte's twilight. It can be our dawn. New Pope's Forward Charlotte will usher in that dawn, make more videos, and buy those TV ads. But all that will, of course, take money. And Noop and his group can raise that money in ways no candidate or campaign can. Because Forward Charlotte falls under a very specific IRS tax code. Forward Charlotte is a 501c4 uh, that we started earlier this year to provide a voice for the business community in Charlotte uh, municipal elections and policymaking, and hopefully uh, influence elections and hold city leadership accountable this year. 501c4 means almost nothing to your average voter. What is a 501c4? So 501c4 is a nonprofit organization that uh, exists to educate the public on certain set of issues Officially, they're known as a social welfare organization. Correct. So these are things like big brother, big sister mm -hmm. clubs, um, but more and more frequently, 501c4s are becoming political, or at least they're forming as political entities. Correct. Yeah. It, it, for in a, in a lot of ways, it's a good vehicle to use uh, for political purposes. 501c4s are allowed to raise unlimited amounts of money from their donors, and they can, by law, and do keep their donor list secret. So you never know just who gave how much to influence your vote. Which is their purpose? Contrast that with the campaign finance limits put on candidates. They can only accept a max of $5,200 from each donor, and they must, by law, publicly disclose just who gave to the campaign and how much each check was for. Forward Charlotte is aligned with Republicans, though not specifically to any one campaign. I think 99.9% .9 of what we're talking about have very little to do with any partisan platform. Still, they want more Republicans in local office. But Forward Charlotte is one of at least two 501c4 groups that will try to influence your vote this election. The other is aligned with Democratic mayoral candidate Joel Ford, and they have yet to respond to our interview requests. No matter where a 501c4 sits on the political spectrum, the secrecy surrounding their fundraising has left them with an ominous moniker. A lot of people know 501c4s as dark money groups, and you, I notice, don't ever say dark money group. But do you understand the thought behind that idea and, the, and why it is they're considered dark, dark money groups? Sure. And, and I think they're called dark money groups um, a lot by people who are, who are on the receiving end of their message. And it's usually a pejorative term that people use to talk about a group that is attacking them or something. And you know, 501c4s do provide a good service in the sense that you can contribute and be active and 
elections and in politics and in policy making and influencing the public's opinion without fear of reprisal. That's a very important uh, thing that 501Cs are, are good for because we do not disclose contributions or expenditures. And do you think that there are political reprisals out there for big ticket political donors? Absolutely. And, you know, it's hard to, to really put a finger on it, but the reality is that especially municipal government, there are reprisals, whether you see it or not. In city council, if, if somebody sees a large contribution to their opponent, but it's also with the general public. You know, nowadays with social media, if a corporation or or a high-profile individual contributes to a campaign and then that campaign goes off the rails and says something crazy or, you know, not politically correct, they come under the gun as well. Now, by law, you are not required to say who your donors are or how much they have given to your 501c4 to forward Charlotte. Can you give me at least a ballpark on how much you have raised so far? Uh, the best I can do is tell you that we will spend six figures in this uh, this year before November, but I can't give you specifics as far as how much we've raised, who it's coming from, that sort of thing. It's all confidential. Ballparky low six figures, mid six figures? Somewhere in there. There are some limits on how Forward Charlotte spends its cash. By law, they must spend less than half of their money on political activities. I can't say vote for this person on this date. If that's going to take up you know, over 50% of our expenditures, that would be illegal. Um, we have no intention of uh, doing that or even walking up to that line. What are you going to do to meet that qualification? Absolutely. That's a good question. And and a lot of it is nuanced, but, but the reality is um, almost all of what we're going to be doing is educating voters about issues important to the business community. And so that in a sense, I guess, technically and legally, is not that inherently political product. But that is a very nuanced argument. So the mm -hmm. bulk of your spend in this election cycle will still be on things that you hope will have an impact on the election, even though it's not by law definably political by educating people on specific issues for the can that tend to fall in line with the candidates that you prefer, which are Republicans. You know, you're not doing a Meals on Wheels drive or anything like that. Like to an uneducated eye, it would be difficult to see the difference, even though that legal definition is met. Yeah, I totally understand. That's a fair point. And it, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think what we're going to be doing and the, the message that we're going to be delivering is going to help Charlotte in the long run. Is there a potential or do you think it's even likely that you will go negative with some of these ads? Absolutely. I mean, we'll be we'll be. Um, driving a message, explaining to voters what city leadership has done to affect their lives in a, a good or bad way. Can you give us an example? Well, even, you know, in the video we, um, and on our website, uh, all that we've already put out, um, you know, since Jennifer Roberts has been elected, we've, we've had, you know, a 60-ish percent drop in new business inquiries and new business visits. Homicide rate has skyrocketed. Do you think that it's I mean, I hate to use the word fair because politics fair is, is kind of almost a quaint term because both sides will tend to go wherever they think they need to go. Do you think that that is, though, an appropriate thing to lay at her feet? Absolutely. And, and a lot of people ask why focus so heavily on the mayor's race because it's a weak mayor system. Well, I think we've seen in the last year and a half how influential Charlotte's mayor can actually be. While, you know, the mayor doesn't really have a whole lot of direct power in city government in Charlotte. The mayor holds a lot of influence, um, and we've kind of seen in a bad way 
what that has done. And, you know, HB2, HB2 I, I'm not going to sit here and defend HB2. I will criticize the bathroom ordinance, though, because it was very clear what was going to happen once the bathroom ordinance was passed. It happened. And, um, you know, whether uh, whether HB2 was right or wrong aside, um, it, it was just a bad law locally, and, and it had a terrible effect on the local economy. Did you start, you and your team, start Forward Charlotte on your own and then reach out to the business community? Or did the business community reach out to you guys and said, hey, we need an organization like this? That's a good question. It was kind of both. Um, This is something that uh, I've talked about and a couple friends of mine have talked about since 2015 and having conversations with people in the business community it was very clear that there was an appetite to support a group like that and uh, that there was a clear need for it and that there was a void um, out there for for a, a voice for the business community that is active in policymaking and elections. So I am, again, officially not really <laughs> running for mayor. Would you suggest to any candidate to try to align or tell them that they would benefit from partnering up with a 501c4? Uh, probably not in most cases. I think in most really? cases it makes more sense to partner with a super PAC. They can run TV ads or mail, whatever it is, on your behalf without any recourse. But super PACs have to tell you Correct. who their donors are. Yeah, it's a it's a very nuanced um, answer, but it, it really is uh, kind of difficult to really partner with a 501c4. It's really not a... a an easy thing to do and nor is it practical and yet mark Noop and forward charlotte will be out there this election year trying to influence you and your vote you'll start seeing just how he tells me after the september 12th primaries We end this episode of Candidate Me by telling you how we spent a bit of our own real money. We've got swag, people. Candidate Me campaign buttons. If you want one, just ask. Go to WFAE.org, find Candidate Me under the podcast tab, and send us a question or just say, hey, I want a button. You do need to include your address for this, which makes sense. How else could we send it to you? Next week, it's incumbent versus challenger, baby boomer versus millennial, and how one vote about zoning by a member of the Charlotte City Council gave rise to a serious challenge from inside the same party. Thanks for listening to Candidate Me.